Let's pray. Father, I praise you for what you do in here at Flourishing Grace. Um, I praise you for uh, just the, the ability to gather here in the park this morning with our friends. I pray that you would bless this time, um, that it would be honoring to you, that you would receive the glory from this gathering, that you would use this time to reorder our loves and our affections, that we might love Jesus more than we love anything in this world. And that right now, as we release our grasp on the things of this world and we, and we give back to the God who has blessed us so unbelievably much, would you do far more with it than we could ever ask or imagine? I pray that as we open your word this morning that you'd bless this time. So give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. The Spirit of Christ would do a work in us right now. Prepare us to receive your word this morning. I believe that you have a word for each one of us here. Every time, every time your word is opened, it is new, it's fresh for us. There's something there for us. So give us ears to hear that we might receive it well. I pray these things in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, friends, let's go. Acts 23. Acts 23 is where we are this morning. Um, and we've been, in, we've been in Acts actually for the past three summers. Three summers we've been walking through the book of Acts and we're, we're wrapping it up this summer. Uh, we're going to kind of, we're kind of landing the plane. It's the, it's the end of the work that was written by Luke. And as you know by now, if you've been around at all, uh, Acts is kind of this historical narrative. Luke is writing a historical story. This is not a, hey, do this, don't do that, don't do this, do that. It's not that at all. It's not what Acts is. Acts is, here's what happened in the course of history. Here's the history of the early church. Here's the history, history of our, kind of our early church fathers. Here's the history of, of kind of Paul's missionary journeys. And that's where we are now. Paul has just ended his third and final missionary journey. It's over. It's done. He's an old man now. And he was told, kind of towards the end of this missionary journey, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, he was told by the Holy Spirit, hey, go to Jerusalem. We see this in chapters 19 and chapter 20. It says Paul is constrained in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Paul is resolved in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. But not just go to Jerusalem. The Spirit says, imprisonment and affliction await you there. It's not going to go well for you there. It's not going to go well for you. But Paul is obedient to the Spirit. He goes to Jerusalem. And last week, Benjur led us into chapter 22, where Paul shows up in Jerusalem. He goes to the temple. It's during the season of Passover, this Hebrew holiday of Passover. He goes into the temple, and he, um, he is seen in the temple by these Jews from Asia, right? And that's where he did his final missionary journey was in Asia. They say, that's the guy. That's the guy that's been disrupting our town. That's the guy that's taken all of the, the Jews from our synagogue and he's led them into this new thing called the way. It's preaching the resurrection from the dead. That's the guy. And a, and a mob forms and they pull Paul out of the temple and they're accusing him of all kinds of crazy things. Uh, namely, first they accuse him of bringing Gentiles into the temple, which isn't true. They accuse him of being some Egyptian leader of a band of assassins, which is kind of cool, but not true. Um, that's definitely not what Paul was. He's not Egyptian, and he didn't know, didn't know any assassins. 
They pull him out of the temple and they begin to beat him in the street. Now, here's how I want to kind of structure this. I probably should have said this a minute ago. Here's how I want to structure our talk this morning. Um, unlike normal, I want to walk through the whole story and the whole text and give us some biblical context and some historical context so we can kind of understand what's going on here, so we can understand this narrative. And then at the end, we'll say, okay, what does this mean for my life? What does this mean for me? And so you need to have your kind of historical ears on this morning, your, your thinking caps, put, put your ears on to kind of follow along in the story. Is that cool? Does that make sense? One, per, okay, Mary, Mary's with me. You guys with me? Okay, there we go. I knew there was people out there. I can see you. Like a whole park full of people. Right, so Paul is dragged in the street. He's being beaten by the Jews, okay? Now remember, who rules Israel at this time in history, human history? Come on. I'll give you a hint. They rule the known world. Rome. That's right. That's right. The Romans. And so the Romans, the, the Roman tribune, who's, who is the, each kind of sect or nation of people is assigned a tribune, a, a Roman official, a leader of the people, who says, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make life good for you, but ultimately you answer to Rome. And so they are, they, as long as they pay their taxes to Rome, they can pretty much do whatever they want, except for when it comes to major crimes and capital punishment, right? They're not allowed to kill anybody. That's, that's Rome's job. Ro Rome's, Rome has the authority to kill. Uh, the, Jews, the Jews don't. And so this mob forms are beating Paul to death in the street. Word gets back to the Roman tribune. The tribune shows up with his, with his, with his Roman guards. They take Paul by force. They bring him into the barracks. And they decide, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to stretch him out. We're going to flog him until he tells us what's going on. They're like, hey, what did you do? And Paul's like, I honestly, I don't know. I was just in the temple. And next thing I know, I'm being beaten by a mob. They're being told he's an, he's an Egyptian assassin, so they're going to flog it out of him. Paul says, wait a second, is it, is it legal to beat a Roman citizen? And instantly, everything changes. The tribune's like, uh, un untie, him. untie him. You know, all of those bruises, we didn't do that to you, right? We, you know that wasn't us. That was, that was the Jews. That wasn't us. But we didn't do it because the, the punishment for beating a Roman citizen without cause is death. And suddenly, everything gets a little bit more sticky for the Romans and for the Jews. And so here's the Roman tribune. He's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He has this Roman citizen who's also a Jew, Paul. He's being accused of a myriad of crazy things. He doesn't know what's true. Can't get anything out of Paul. He's like, what do I do? And so he brings them before what's called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the highest court of the Hebrew people. It's the highest court. It's like the supreme court of the Jews. He says, okay, you guys got to tell me what's going on here because I can't do anything. My hands are bound. If you remember with Jesus, right? The Jews wanted to kill Jesus, but they couldn't. They couldn't. They needed the Romans to do that. And so what we have here at the beginning of 23 is what we have is, is, is we have the, the Romans who are saying, man, I need a cause to detain this man by Roman law. And you have the Jews, on the other hand, who say, we need to come up with a reason to kill this man. That's what they want. They want Paul dead. And the Romans are like, I don't know what I want. I just, I just want to know what's going on here. Now, enter 23, Paul before the Sanhedrin. So there's this informal gathering of the Sanhedrin. 
And the Roman tribune says, tell me what's going on here. And Paul is, free, is given the freedom to speak. And here's what he says. Chapter 23, verse 1. In looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias, that's important, we'll come back to it in a minute, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck? And those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Let's stop there for a second. Again, we are, we are in this kind of, we're just kind of walking through this historically and biblically. What is going on here? What's Paul trying to do? What Paul is doing before the tribune is he is elevating himself as a Jew. He, he doesn't kind of tiptoe in, kind of looking at his feet like, ah, I'm nervous. I don't know what to do with my hands. Um, well, hi, my name's Paul. And uh, no, he looks him right in the eye. He says, brothers, not oh, most excellent ones. Not, oh, great Pharisees and Sadducees. Not, not, oh, most excellent Sanhedrin or high priest. Brothers, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. In fact, he goes on to say, I've lived every day of my life in good conscience before God until now. Every day of my life. What Paul's saying is, I am devout. I'm holy. I'm a righteous Hebrew. I'm just like you. He says this in Philippians when he asked about his Jewishness. Philippians 3, 4 through 6, Paul says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. As to the zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says, man, I am a devout Jew. A Hebrew of Hebrews. I know the law. I'm a trained Pharisee. I know the law by heart. The entire Old Testament has been committed to memory, and I know it. I know it all. I'm just like you. I've stood before the Sanhedrin. When Stephen was stoned by the Sanhedrin, Paul stood right there. He was with them. He was in their midst. And just like you, he's elevating who he is before the Jewish people. But the high priest, Ananias, commands Paul to be struck in the mouth. He says, no, not on my watch. No, how dare you? How dare you elevate yourself to my level? Now, Ananias was a terrible high priest. We, we know this not from the Bible, but from Jewish history. The great ancient Jewish historian, Josephus, who wrote the Antiquities of the Jews, the, the, this amazing historical work, Josephus says, he, Ananias, Ananias took all the tithes that were to be distributed for the living of the common priest and stole all of it. All, all of it. A Ananias was a thief. 
He took all of the money that was given by the nation of Israel that was to be distributed among the priests of the temple. He pocketed it all. He was actually killed by, um, by, by, he was assassinated in 66 AD for dealing with the Romans. He had the Romans in one pocket and the Jews in the other, and he was just this corrupt, corrupt man. It's said that he had several people assassinated because they disagreed with him or tried to overthrow him at different points in time in his life. And so this corrupt high priest says, nope, I'm going to show you how I deal with people like you. And he commands Paul, who's an old man at this point, to get punched in the face. And Paul strikes back verbally. He said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. That's a quote from Ezekiel. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? You see, in Jewish law, it's against the law for a Hebrew to strike another Hebrew. It's as if, the law says, you're striking the glory of God. Paul, again, is still, he's elevating himself to the level of these men. He says, I know the law, let me quote it for you. I know the law, let me show you how you're breaking it. I know the word, I'm going to quote the word. He's elevating himself in this court, trying to gain the ear of these men. And he's failing. The people say, what? How dare you speak against the high priest? And so they're not shocked that the high priest hit him in the face, but they're shocked that Paul would speak in such a way. And then Paul says this. This is a controversial verse. Paul says, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of the rule of your people. Now, commentators go back and forth, back and forth on what this means. Did Paul really not know that he was the high priest? Some commentators say he really didn't know. It was an informal gathering of the Sanhedrin. Paul has been gone for almost 30 years now. He has never met Ananias. He doesn't know what he looks like. He just didn't know. But the truth is, I feel like he had to know. When the high priest walks into the room, everybody knows. You know by the way he's dressed. And even if he's not wearing something that would identify him as a high priest, maybe, maybe he was gathered quickly in the middle of the night, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe by chance he's not wearing something that would identify him as a high priest. Everybody else in the room is addressing him in a way that would show the honor and dignity and the worth of the high priest. Paul knows who he is. Paul grew up in this room. He knows that Ananias is the high priest. So why does he say, I didn't know who you were? Well, given the rest of the evidence of Paul, whenever Paul gets a little angry in Scripture, he gets a little sassy, all right? That's just his MO. It's what he does, and that's why I love Paul. Paul's saying, I couldn't tell by the way you're acting that you're the high priest. Based on your behavior, I wouldn't, nobody would have known that you're the high priest. That's what he's saying. He's giving him another jab. He's saying, man, I just wouldn't have known that you're the high priest. If I would have known, I would have been, again, he quotes the law. I'd have been a little bit more obedient because the law says you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. All right. You guys still tracking? It's a lot. It's a lot. Let's keep going. Verse 6. Now, when Paul perceived that one part of the room, one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee. Son of a Pharisee, is it with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial? And we said this, 
dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge all of them. And then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes and Pharisees, Pharisee, some of the scribes of the Pharisee party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. All right, real quick, we're almost done with kind of this historical part piece of it and explaining this. Here's what Paul does. He sees this is going nowhere. He, he sees that there's no, there's no common ground here. There's no, there's no way that he's going to get an audience. He's going to be able to actually share the gospel with anybody that's going to listen to him. This is not going to happen, not in this room. And so Paul does something brilliant with just one, with just one phrase, one phrase. He does three brilliant things. He says, I'm a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. It is, is it in regards to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial? Is that why we're here? Here's what happens when he says that. F first, first thing, remember He's, he, he's got these two audiences. He's got the Roman Tribune, and then he's got the, the Jewish officials, the Jewish Sanhedrin. For the Roman Tribune, in an instant, in a moment, he demonstrates to them that this is nothing more than a Jewish theological squabble. That's all that's going on here. There, there's no need for Roman law. There's no need for execution. There's no need for a beating. This is just a, this is just a simple theological squabble. And the room erupts in a theological squabble, right? If you guys have been around Flourishing Grace at all, you've, you've heard us talk about um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Um, but, uh, you know, before Jesus' day, kind of the generation before Jesus, there were these two rock star rabbis, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel, Elder Hillel, right? And they formed these two entrenched, bitter parties, um, these, these two political parties that did not agree on anything, other than one thing, the Gentiles are bad and the Jews are awesome. That's pretty much the only thing they agreed on. The, 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 the scribes, and the, or the, sorry, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these two political parties, and they're so embittered, they're so entrenched, they, they hate each other so much that basically you could do anything you wanted as long as you didn't speak ill of your own party. Does that, does that sound familiar to anybody? Nobody? A little, little bit, yeah. Pretty much in our day, it's the same thing. We have these two entrenched political parties where if you are a Republican, you can pretty much do whatever you want to do as long as you don't speak ill of or vote against your own party, a la Mitt Romney. That's what happens. The same is true for Democrats. You can pretty much do whatever you want to do, right? You can lie, steal, steal, cheat. I can, talk, I can talk. You can lie, steal, cheat. You can, you can say whatever you want. As long as you don't speak ill of or vote against your own party. So Paul, the second thing Paul does is that as he says, I'm a Pharisee, he wins over half the room because he can do no wrong now. In half of the room's eyes, he's good, right? In fact, the scribes of the Pharisees stand up and say, I don't see anything wrong with the guy. A minute ago, they wanted to kill him. Now they're like, oh no, he's good. He's one of ours. We're set. We're, we're good. And then the third and final thing he does is he begins to plant a seed for the gospel. Is it with regards to 
the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial, he knows if he can win over that fact amongst the Pharisees, he has a voice. There might just be hope for the gospel among the Pharisee party. If he can get the Pharisee party, maybe eventually he can get the Sadducee party. Paul knows exactly what he's doing. And so they move in. They're going to tear into pieces. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are fighting over them. And the Romans jump in. They say, all right, this is enough. They bring him, because he's a Roman citizen, they bring him to the barracks in order to protect him. In order to protect him. And the Jews stay back and they say, we've got to find another way to kill this guy. We've got to find another way to kill him. So it has been a long day for Paul. He has endured so much. He has been pulled out of the temple, beaten by a mob, arrested by the Romans, attempted to be killed by the Jews, but he talks his way out. Attempted to be beaten by the Romans, but he talks his way out. It's been a long day, friends. It's been a long day. Here's our last verse for this morning, and then we'll wrap it up. Verse 11. The following night, the Lord, Jesus, stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Take courage, Paul. You've been faithful in Jerusalem. Be faithful in Rome. I'm not done with you yet. For many of us here this morning, it's been a, it's been a long six, six months. Anybody, anybody have a long six months? Does this year feel longer than last year, or is it just me? Anybody weary? Anybody a little worn out? Let me tell you something that's not that bad. It's not that bad. I, I know some of, some of you have, have suffered this year. Some of you have lost your jobs. Some of you are exhausted. Some of you got family in the hospital. Anybody get beaten by a mob this year? Nobody? Anybody have an assassination plot on their life? Nobody. I mean, I know 2020 is rough, but it's not... It's not that bad. It's not that bad. But here's the reality. For some of us here, it has been rough. It's been rough. It's been a hard season. Last Thursday night, our pastors at Flourishing Grace, we call them our lead shepherds, uh, gathered together in my backyard. And, and every time we gather, we pray for you all. We pray for you by name. We have a list, and we kind of go over it, and we say, I mean, what's going on in the lives of our people? And, and usually, that, that time of prayer, there's, there's usually a few folks that we say, oh, man, this person needs prayer for this, this person needs prayer for this. Last Thursday, it lasted a lot longer than normal. We prayed for many of you by name. This person's lost their job. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for their spouse. This person's spouse is in the hospital. Let's Let's pray for them. Let's pray for their spouse. This person's teenage kid has been struggling with some deep anxiety and depression. 
In fact, all of our teenagers are just dealing with an extra measure of anxiety when it comes to going back to school this year. It's different. It's different than this year. Let's pray for them. We spend an hour just thinking through your lives and thinking what's going on, just praying hard that God would move in your lives. That he might say to those of you who have been faithful, you've been faithful, stay faithful. I'm not done with you yet. Do you know that's true of you, church? He's not done with you yet. Some of you are weary. You're worn out. You had your kids 24 hours a day since March. You're weary. You're like, well, I don't know what to do. For those of you who have been faithful, stay faithful. Take courage. He's not done with you yet. For those of you who have lost your jobs or you're looking at your company and you know they're getting ready to do another round of layoffs in September and October. For those of you who have been faithful, take courage. Stay faithful. He's not done with you yet. For those of you who at one time in your life you knew, man, I'm called to the gospel, to the ministry of the gospel in Utah. That's the, that's the course that Christ has given me in my life. I know I'm here for a reason. But the past six months have just been hard on you, man. For those of you who have been faithful, stay faithful. He's not done with you yet. Take courage. Now hear this, though. Jesus didn't say to Paul, take courage. You've been faithful, stay faithful, it's going to get better. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that because it's not getting better. He's going to Rome. Paul, if you thought this was bad, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get worse. If you do the things you did today in Rome, they're going to burn you alive. They're going to feed you to the lions. That's what they do to people who believe the things that you believe there. You speak to the... To Caesar, the way that you spoke to the Sanhedrin? Oh, good luck with that. It's not getting better. And friends, I think we need to wake up to the reality that this isn't getting better right now. We're about to enter into one of the most heated, embittered, anger-boiling elections in, in generations. The Sanhedrin's coming for you. It's not getting better. This isn't over yet. But for those of you who have been faithful, take courage. Stay faithful. Because he's not done with you yet. It's not over. But he's not done. Christ has more for you. He has more for you. The Sanhedrin's coming. It might be a family member or a coworker or somebody. They're going to they're gonna challenge your faith. Are you ready to give a defense for your faith? Have you pressed into your faith? Have you tested your faith? Have you tested your faith? That's not a popular thing to say in Utah, right? We're told not to doubt. Don't doubt. Doubt's bad. Don't doubt your parents. Don't doubt your leaders. And whatever you do, don't doubt your faith. Friends, let me tell you something. God's not afraid of your doubts. Press in. If God's afraid of your doubts, then he's not God. If God holds all truth, then he's not afraid of you testing your faith and pressing in and pushing in. Saying, do I really believe this? Is this really true? Push in. Push in on your leaders. 
pushing on me? Is Josh's heart genuine for me? Does he really, really believe what he believes? Is he really leading us to a place where he should be leading us? Test your leaders. Test your faith. Know what you believe. The Sanhedrin's coming for you, baby. It's coming. Are you ready for that? And do you believe that your God cares about you as much as he cares about his own son? Do you believe that your God loves you as much as he loves his own son? The one whom he gave up on the cross for you? Do you believe that he loves you as much as he loves him? That in the dark hour of your soul that he would come to you and say, take courage, baby. Take courage. You've been faithful. Stay faithful. I'm not done with you yet. And so for those of you who are sitting here this morning and you are weary and you are tired and you just want to give up, you just want to be like, I'm done, I'm out. 2020, I'm out. He's not done with you yet. Press into him. There's far more there. Don't get tunnel vision on me. It's only been six months. He's got years left with you. He's not done with you yet. Let's press in. Let's join him in the work that he's doing. Let's go to him now. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, I pray for our people. I know, I know, I know we are weary. I know we're tired. I know we're worn out. I know we're stressed out. I know anxiety's high. But I know it's not over yet. But the good news is you're not done yet. So would we be, be a people who press into you, who prepare ourselves now to give a defense. The time is coming. The Sanhedrin is coming for us. In all, in all levels of our culture, locally, nationally, globally, it's not getting better. And we just need to be a people who are awake to that. And yet we need to be people who take courage. We say, man, I've been faithful. I need to stay faithful. You're not done with me yet. Would you help us? Would you gather us? Would you draw near to us in the dark hour of our soul? And be our courage and be our strength. We love you. Praising your name. In the name of Jesus. Amen.